Welcome, everyone, to It's a Rap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features extraordinary people who do special things to enrich our lives and people who have overcome major challenges and adversities in their lives to come out on top. Our guest today is Mike McBride. Mike is a survivor of childhood abuse and major depression, dissociative feud, and a suicide attempt. Men and boys who have been sexually assaulted may experience the same effects of sexual assault as other survivors, but they may face other challenges that are more unique to their experience. Men who were sexually abused as boys or teens may also respond differently than men who were sexually assaulted as adults. Mike has a website, www.childabusesurvivor.net, where he shares his thoughts, knowledge, and educational resources about all the topics I mentioned in multiple ways. Mike doesn't do this for fame or money. He does this out of the goodness of his heart so that the next survivor of any of these things has at least one place on the World Wide Web to know that they are not alone. Welcome, Mike, to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. We're going to dive right in. Uh, Mike, can, can you tell us about your early years? Uh, what was your family situation like? Um, so early years was, a, a lot of people would describe it as a bit chaotic. Um, <laughs> large, a very large Irish Catholic family. Um, I have five brothers, so there were, there were a number of us. Um, my father drank um, basically until I was about 13 or so was when he got sober. Um, but obviously you're, you're talking about a family structure where there's a lot going on. You're, you're one of your parents is drinking, coming home drunk on a regular basis, violent at times. Um, and that really, for me, at least what that really led to was sort of being very vulnerable to sort of, oh, there's these other males you know, that, that I'm related to. In this case, it was a, an older teenager. You know, I, I'm, I'm vulnerable at that point, right? I don't have a father figure. I'm looking, I'm kind of grasping onto a father figure. Um, and that's how eventually starting at the age of nine, um, he started to uh, groom me, molest me for good six, seven years, right? Basically until I was a teenager um, and we moved away. <laughs> so, so Mike, you said you had five brothers. Yes. So are you the oldest, the youngest, the middle? I am the second. You're the second. Okay. So can you tell us uh, who were your abusers and what was school like for you and what was your goal? And I'm assuming dad was the only abuser? Uh so, so my dad and then this other person, so my dad was, was the violent one. He drank. Um, and then obviously he was not the one who molested me. That was, that was another family member. So in, in my case, all of, so unlike a lot of other uh, male victims, right. Where, where we hear about Catholic churches and, and various places like that, all of mine was, was in the family, right. These were all people I was related to all people that I knew. Um, and in a lot of ways, I think growing up school for me was the escape, right? School was great. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I was really good at it. You wanted to get out of that house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and and real, real, the reality was I was very good at, at school. Um, I was a great student. Um, I was a really smart kid. Um, part of that, I think, is not just, um, you know, be, just being good at being a good student and things like that. But part of it was also that that feeling of, all right, all of this is going on at home. So I got to make sure that, you know, nobody knows, right? right. So I got to be the perfect student, right? I got to, there's no suspicion that anything weird's happening in my life. Right. Um, so there's a lot, I mean, it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself as a kid. Um, I was able to get away with it. I, I think there were, um, I, I have talked over the years, you know, th thanks to the wonders of Facebook, I have talked to people I knew as a child yeah. over the years who had no idea, right? Just, oh, wow, I, I would have never known. I'm like, yeah, that, that's the point. Like, I was good at hiding it, right? <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you have any goals back then? Um, I don't think I ever really set. Um, I, I think it's hard for me to, 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 to kind of think about that because I think for me, there was so much going on in childhood that it was hard to really picture 
Like what, what is my life going to look like when I'm 30, 35 years old? Right. I don't think I ever, I, I tell people, you know, I turn, told people when I turned 50 that I, I had no plan for turning 50. Like I had no idea what that means. Yeah. Right? I didn't actually expect to turn 50. Um, and I think as a kid, it, everything is happening so so fast and so right in front of you that sure. the idea of sort of planning out a future life is like, I'll figure that out later. I, I don't, I don't have a plan for that. And I, I think in a lot of ways, I don't think I even as a young child, I don't know that I necessarily thought I would turn 30. Right. Yeah. Well, how did you deal as a youngster, you know, with all the family stress? I learned some really cool skills. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned the dissociative fugue states, um, right? That I think yeah, is something and that's that, gonna, that, that, that's, that question's coming up, just so you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's where it started, right? As a kid, um, sort of understanding that I don't have to, you know, mentally, I don't have to be here, right? I, I learned right. that skill very early. Um, you know, when things are, are just horrible and I can't handle it, just mentally check out. Right. Just, I'm not here. I'm watching this happen to somebody else. Right. This isn't actually happening to me. Um, so I think there was a lot of that that went on when I was a kid. There's a lot of just escapism um, turned into a very introverted childhood. And, and to be honest, I may be an introvert anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it but it was an extreme introversion. Right. I didn't really have a lot of friends. Um, I didn't want to go out and do things. To, to, you know, if, if I wasn't at school, I was sort of just holed up in my room, away from people, just, you know, yeah. um, just really tried to stay away as much as possible. And, you know, when you're 12, that's kind of difficult. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Can, can being assaulted affect one's sexual orientation? A lot of people want to know that. Um. To be honest with you, I don't. I, I don't think so. Um, I, I know that there's. That's a popular theory that's out there, um, I, and I, I'm not going to say that that it doesn't happen. Um, I wouldn't say that it's all that common. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think over the years, one of the the more interesting things. So I, I started my website about 20 years ago now. Yeah. Um, and at the time, you know, there there were not a whole lot of uh, male victims of sexual violence. <laughs> speaking out about that right um and there were a lot of people who came to the site over the years who just assumed i was gay right that just in in the first interaction like would talk to me ab- about being gay and i was always like but but i'm not right um yeah <laughs> it, 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 that has changed i mean it truthfully has been a long time since i've had that kind of interaction with anyone i think that has changed that perception has changed that's good yeah um yeah, and I think the thing about it is, you know, whether for me, one of the things, and, and I struggled with this for a long time because when people would kind of make that assumption about me, and and for anyone listening, let me finish this whole sentence. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I felt a little insulted, not that someone was calling me gay, but just you're not looking at me. You're not seeing me. You're not seeing my story. You're just, you've got this stereotype in your head. Yeah. And when I say I was, you know, molested as a child, you immediately went there um, and you, you quit looking at me as an individual. So I think that's the thing, right? I, I don't think you can blanket say, yes, it impacts your sexual preferences or it doesn't. Um, you know, I don't think you, I think each, each case is going to be a little bit individual sometimes. And there may be some impact there, but I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think there's a, a, an overwhelming like, oh yeah. You, you were assaulted as a child, you'll probably end up gay. I don't think yeah. that's true. I'm glad you cleared that up. Would you explain to the audience now, what is dissociative feud <laughs> that you experience? If, if, um, you can, if you can explain to us, what is that? I can, mean? I can. So we want to think about uh, dissociation as sort of a spectrum, right? Sim- similar to autism or something like that. And you've got various extremes on each end of the spectrum, right? So on one end of the spectrum, you may have something simple, a simple like case of highway hypnosis. Like, oh, I drove to work today and I have no memory of that drive at all, right? I was just thinking about something else. I don't even remember how getting here. Sure. 
right? So you've got that sort of on one extreme. And then obviously on the other extreme, you get to something like multiple personality disorder where you're literally becoming different people um, inside of your own, your own brain. Fugue lives somewhere in the middle, right? It's not, it's not multiple personalities, but it is sort of this, this ability to dissociate from your current situation. Now, Fugue is a little bit special. Um, so, so if you think about what I was doing as a kid, I think it's probably the best way to explain this, right? So as a kid, things got stressful mentally, just whoop, I'm gone, right? right. This isn't happening to me. This is, you know, this might as well be TV <laughs> as, right. far as, as far as anything that's concerned. Um, and when you're a kid, you kind of just do that. Whatever goes on, goes on, things calm down and you kind of snap back a little bit in dissociation. Um, because you don't really have the option, any other option than to just be there, right? You, you don't yeah. get to pack up and leave. You're like I said, you're 12, your, your options are limited. Sure. As an adult. <laughs> so, so what happens as a child is that's your, that's now your coping skill, right? Things get stressful. This is how you're going to deal with that skill. Um, so for me as an adult, I got into my twenties. Um, I was in a, a very stressful, bad marriage. Uh, I was also working full time and going to school part time. So I was in a very, very stressful situation, right? So my brain said, you know what? This is a lot of stress. I need, I need out, right? I need to get out of the stress. So it's just sort of checked out. But I'm not 12 anymore. I have access to cash and a car. <laughs> yeah, you're mobile. Right? So, so I can just <laughs> go, right? right? And in that dissociative state, you just sort of, and again, I wasn't multiple, so I wasn't like using another name or anything like that. I just kind of forgot who I was, right? So the fact that I had a job and a wife really didn't occur to me anymore, <laughs> right? So I right. literally drove across the country with, and I have very little memory of any of this, right? I, I, to this day, I, there are just bits and pieces of memories. Um, most of from what I understand from talking to some therapists after this happened and, and doing some study on my own, typically what happens is something familiar sort of snaps you back. And obviously when you're driving across the country, there's nothing familiar about that. Um, and so for me, but I do remember snapping back because I was, so I was um, in Griffith Park in Los Angeles, which was nowhere near where I lived. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you were down um, I-10, I guess, right? From I, yeah, I don't, well, I was living in Ohio at the time, so I have no oh, idea how I wound up in Ohio. You were really far away. Yeah, man. I was really far away. Um, yeah. yeah, so I had no idea where my car was either. Just like living in the park, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> wow. Um, and it was July 4th. And they were setting off the fireworks, right? Well, July 4th happens to be my birthday. So suddenly it was like, wait, this is my birthday. Like, I... And, and suddenly it starts to come back. Like, why am I here? Like, what am I doing here? Why am I not at home? Um, and so there was this sort of like this very sudden like snap, something's wrong. And it literally took, I, I honestly lived on the streets for a week um, before I called anybody because I didn't know what to say, right? As, oh, how do you explain this? Yeah, that's, <laughs> um, and it was funny that's because tough. I called my then wife who had been in touch with a doctor and a psychiatrist and they were like, yeah, we think this happened to you. And they knew, they knew exactly what had happened, even though I had no idea wow. what had happened. So, so, so when I talk about dissociative fugue states, that's what I, when I talk about is just that extended period of time where I'm not myself. I don't know who I am. And then for some reason, fugue states are usually tied into just traveling away, just leaving. Well, what were your so early, uh, I was going to say, what were your early adult years like? And tell us how you received uh, mental health care then and how that makes you privileged compared to, to other people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like I said, early 20s, my, my first attempted therapy did not go well. Um, the therapist and I just didn't, didn't really hit it off. Um, partially my fault, partially just not a good match. Um, it was... Uh, of course, you know, being in your early 20s, when, when you talk about being sexually assaulted, they're like, oh, you should go see a male therapist, which was probably the worst thing I could have done. Right. <laughs> uh, because all of the all of the male adult figures in my life had abused me. Why would I go sure. to a male yeah. therapist? Right. <laughs> right. So so that didn't go well. 
Um, but like I said, for the most part, I just sort of, I knew it was there. I was honest about it. I talked to a few people about what had happened. Um, but I just sort of thought, I'm okay. Yeah, it, it's fine. I, I got this, right? That's in the past. I'm not going to worry about this. And then, like I said, it was that lack of, of ability to deal with stress because the only thing I ever learned was to dissociate. And that's where things really went south. Um, and so after that happened, I got back. Um, you know, I, I was very privileged, right? I still had a job when I got back, which I think is rare, <laughs> right? I was gone for a month, just wow. disappeared off, off the grid for a month. Um, and when I got back, they were like, yeah, you were just on leave. So we're going to figure out how to get you back in your job. So I still had a job. I still had insurance, um, had a family, you know, came from a very, a, a, you know, a middle-class background. Yeah. So there was, there was money, there was help you know, there was my job, there was insurance. So I was able to go to therapy, right? I was able to go to therapy. Um, when things got even worse in therapy, I was able to go. I mean, I was literally um, in a situation for about a, about two months where I was going to see uh, a therapist. I was basically being sent in to see my therapist five days a week. That's, right? a, that's a good amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. So I, basically every day I would take a two hour lunch, drive to my therapist's office, check in with her. We did some, some neuro biofeedback, you know, and, and basically it was like, she needed me to check in with her every day to make sure I wasn't suicidal. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I was working that whole time. Right. Think about that. Yeah. You were, <laughs> you were one tough dude. Well, but think about, what kind of job you have to have that says, yeah, it's fine. Take a two hour lunch every day to go see your you therapist. You were very fortunate. Yeah. <laughs> you were very fortunate. Right? So when we, when I talk about privilege, that's what I look at. Like okay. I was able to work through that. I was able to keep insurance and so many people aren't. Yeah. Right? If you aren't able to work, you don't have insurance and you don't have mental health care. Right. right. I was going to say anybody else would probably be still be on the streets, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. How do men who were sexually abused as boys or teens uh, respond differently in some cases compared to men who were sexually abused as adults? It's a really interesting question. Um, I think, and and, and I don't want to say that this has always been true because I I honestly don't believe this has always been true. Um, But I think over the years, saying you were molested saying you were assaulted as a child has become, and I don't want acceptable is the wrong word to use there. (laughs) Um, But it's the best one that came to mind. Maybe more recognizable. Yeah. Like, like I said, you know, as we've learned more about the scandals with the churches and boy scouts and, you know, in England with, with soccer and, and all these other places, I think the, the idea that boys get, sexually assaulted is sort of implanted people's minds now like oh yes that does happen um i don't think that's always been true i think there was always a time where that didn't where people thought that didn't happen um so so i think there's a some growing acceptance around that idea some growing acceptance that yeah that probably did do did some damage um that you do need some resources you do need some help i think males who are sexually assaulted as adults have a much harder path Right. Because let's face it, men that men aren't victims. Right. That's that's right. That that's the the narrative that's out there. Right. Men rape women are victims. That's that's how that works. Um, So anything that gets outside of that narrative, like a male victim, is just it's hard for people to wrap their heads around. Um, And so you don't see anywhere near the same level of support. You don't see the same sort of recognition um, and then there's a lot of questioning, like, how did that happen? What do you mean you were assaulted? Like, what were you, and you get into the victim blame. What were you doing? You know, are you sure you didn't really want it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> All those sorts of things that, you know, that haven't, they haven't completely gone away for, for teens and, and child and children, but, um, especially on, on the, 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 the male victim side of things. But I, th- I think they're still very prevalent for adults. Well, you know, um, and they're still uh, incredibly difficult to deal with. Uh, a week ago, we had uh, Deanna Carpenter on the program, and she was assault, uh, sexually assaulted as a as a child. And when I was going through the stats on sexual abuse, it's pretty even, uh, boys and girls. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people really realize that. 
No, the stats, when you really sit down and look at the stats, and I, I've written about this before on my site, you know, because I, I work with technology, I work with numbers, uh, all that kind of fun stuff. And I said, look, when you look at those numbers, you know, if you accept that at best, at our, our best guess is that one in three girls, one in six boys, right? Yeah. Somewhere around that that number is probably the accurate one. We'll never really know what the accurate number is because so many aren't reported. I said, but if you if you accept those numbers and you just go about your life, it's it's mathematically impossible that you don't know a survivor. Oh, absolutely. Right. You they absolutely. maybe don't know anybody who's told you. <laughs> right. But right, you know right. one at least. Oh, sure. One. Oh, sure. Now you said you were married. You said did, did you also mention you had a family? Can you talk about that? Um, I am married now. We do not have children, um, but I am married now. Um, I, after the, the first marriage, um, obviously the one that was not going well and, and creating a lot of stress in life um, ended uh, 97. Yeah, 97. <laughs> um, right. I remarried in 2001 um, after in, in a much healthier place, making much better decisions. We've been married for almost 20 years now. So. Oh, great. Congratulations. Thank you. That suicide attempt, did, did that require hospitalization, Mike? No, it did not. Um, I, was in the, I was in a hospital shortly after that, um, but the attempt did, was just, it just didn't work. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to get into any details of, of that. I don't That's think that fine. helps anybody to hear, um, but it just didn't work. Um, I eventually, oddly enough, um, sort of again, and sort of that, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm out, I'm just going to drive away and and disappear. Um, my car actually broke down. And again, I was living in Ohio at this time. Car broke down in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, which is where I live now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, I, I was not, there was no active attempt, but I basically just car broke down and I just gave up. I just sort of sat on the side of the road, just done. Okay. Um, and I, and I caught a virus and, and actually, passed out and someone sort of found me and called an ambulance and I spent nine days in the hospital in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I knew no one. Uh, <laughs> and then some 20 years after that, I wound up moving to Baton Rouge, Louisiana um, yeah, for work. Yeah. My, my new wife's family is actually from Louisiana. So oddly enough, I'm back. <laughs> yeah. What motivated, motivated you to lead, to lead you on a journey to heal and uh, by what means was that accomplished? Wow, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, to be honest with you, and this is going to sound really very silly, um, but hopefully it'll make sense, I hope. Um, I think one of the things for me uh, is after getting out of the hospital, and just I'm, I had nothing at that point, right? At that point, I didn't have a job anymore. Um, everything had kind of just fallen apart. Um, I had been through a lot of therapy. I knew a lot, but I just didn't care. Um, there was just this little part of me that was curious about random things, right? From right. who's going to win the next world series or, <laughs> you know, what happens on this TV show or gee, I wonder, you know, what my little brother is going to be like, cause I had a, a much younger brother. What's he going to be like growing up and, and as an adult, um, and so there were all, and, and suddenly that just became my, you know what? I do want to live, right? I want to be here for this stuff. Even though it may seem, it's not earth shattering. It's, it may seem small. There was just that, and I like to call it, you know, one of the things that um, a lot of people who work in suicide prevention talk about connecting, right? When somebody is suicidal, you got to connect them to something. Yeah. You got to keep them connected to things. And I think that for me was that those little things I was curious about kept me connected. Right. It kept me interested in living. Um, so I was able to do that. Um, and then I started back in therapy during that time. Again, lucky enough to still have insurance. <laughs> um, That's good. And one of the things we really did um, is, is the, the therapist and I kind of worked through this and we we're like, look, she and she looked at me. She was like, look, we can sit here for the next two years and work through all of your memories or try to recapture all the things you don't remember. Cause there's still a lot of stuff I don't remember uh, both about childhood and my adulthood. Um, she was like, or we can focus on just teaching you how to be an adult, right? Teaching you better coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, let's go with that. Right. Because I don't 
I realized that the memories of that time I was driving across the country, I don't really care. Right? Whatever happened, happened. It's, it's nothing about it's going to change. There's no reason for me to like try to grab these memories. But I absolutely need to know how to deal with stress better, how to make decisions, like all the things you're supposed to learn as a kid yeah. that I didn't learn because I was just trying to survive. Um, and she worked with me. Um, and it really, she worked with identifying stress coping mechanisms. She worked with identifying, you know, how to make a decision. And I think the biggest thing she worked with me, the thing that has stuck with me for 20 some odd years now, is <laughs> um, she sat in her office one day and she just looked at me and, and as I was trying to make decisions and doing all this, she looked at me and she was like, stop. What do you want? Mm-hmm. What do you want your life to be? Forget everybody else forget all their expectations forget all the things you feel responsible for what do you want your life to be because she said and that's it that's the only thing you need to worry about right is figuring out what you want out of your life because i had never done that to that point right my life has always been a reaction to other people right so a reaction to being in, a, in an alcoholic family, a reaction to being molested, and a reaction to a bad marriage, right? all of these things. Um, and that has always stuck with me. That was that to me, I think is the one thing that was key to healing was just understanding that one, I had the ability to make that decision myself, that I, I had permission to do it. I didn't need somebody else's permission to do it. And I was worth doing it, right? All those yeah. things that just sort of can't fell into place. And that's when things started really, that, that's when things got better not perfect it'll never be perfect right um there's still days where i wish i could just check out uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but i think that that was that was when things came together and really started sort of understanding that no i'm capable of this like i'm not a failure i am not a failed adult i'm capable of learning this right and i really have that's good did you did you forgive your abusers and and talk to us about your thoughts you know, on forgiveness. <laughs> oh, forgiveness. Um, yeah, forgiveness is a tough topic. Um, I have over over 20 years of running my site. I've gone back and forth on it. I've read other people go back and forth on it. Mm-hmm. Um, for one thing, I will say, I do not believe you have to. Um, I do not believe anybody who, who's grown up with childhood trauma needs to forgive anybody who abused them if they don't want to. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's, I don't even necessarily think it's healing if you want to do it. (laughs) Right. Right. I would say, great. Good for you. Right. Um, I don't know that I would say I've forgiven. Um, in the same, in the way that most people understand the word. Right. So I think a lot of us, in the U.S. grew up with sort of the, the, the Christian theology version of forgiven. Um, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure that that's a healthy way to look at forgiveness when you're talking about abuse. Yeah. Right? So when I look at my father, I look at the, the people who hurt me. I don't want to be, there's no part of me that wants to forgive them and then be in a relationship with them. Like it never happened. Like yeah. that's not going to happen. Um, and I think people who kind of tell you that that's what you should do are just, no, don't don't tell people that right um on the flip side of that do i look at them and realize that they and again this is one of those tricky areas because i don't i don't want anyone to to feel like i'm giving anybody a pass or, or creating excuses there's no excuse yeah um for what happened to me but I think it does help me, and I think it helps other survivors to understand that um, the people who hurt me were just not in good way, right? Right. Um, you know, there, I have some colorful language I could use to describe it, but we'll we'll leave that out. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. They 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 were not healthy, right? There was nothing about them that was really good. Right. Um, and and so when I think about them, you know, I don't think about the fact that, oh, they saw me, they picked me out, they, they made these conscious decisions. I think they were, I, I tend to think of it more like they were a runaway train, right? They, they were a mess and they were going to hurt somebody. Yeah. 
Um, and the only thing, and, and part of that is also think getting into, right, when because when we're kids and bad things happen, we automatically think, oh, it was my fault. I did something. Yeah. Right. And so to me, it helps me even understand that even further to say, no, it wasn't my fault. There was a train. Right. No, it <laughs> Literally wasn't. Your, definitely went off fault. the tracks and ran into me. I was just there. Yeah, you're right? the wrong, wrong place at the wrong time. Exactly. So, yeah. so when we, when I talk about forgiveness, for me, it's much more just taking that understanding of, I don't forgive you for what you did. I don't want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to hang out with you and be friends with you. Right. But I understand that you were a mess and that yeah. this was just a train wreck waiting to happen. Well, tell us about how uh, family gatherings can be for survivors of childhood abuse. Oh, they can be a mess. <laughs> um, to some degree, I, I consider myself very lucky. My, my father has passed away. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. Um, my mother passed away a couple of years ago. So there's really not a lot of family gatherings um, that I need to attend. Um, and even then, the, the, the people that I gather to gather with are my younger brothers and, and their kids and and you know, not anybody who hurt me. So yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. Um, before that though, I, there was, it's difficult, right? It's, it's difficult. It's awkward. Um, I, I talk to a lot of survivors on a regular basis through the website and, and Facebook groups and stuff like that, that just, it's hard. It is so hard. Yeah. I can imagine. Um, and it's really hard when people don't acknowledge it. Right. So Uncle Uncle Kenny, right? Which yeah. make up a name, <laughs> right? <laughs> Uncle Kenny abused me, um, but you know my parents won't acknowledge it. They won't talk about it. Right. Uh, they they say, or maybe they even think I'm lying about it. You know, they they can't imagine good old Uncle Kenny would do that. You know, when you walk into that in, environment, you're just, you know, you can't be comfortable, right? Because sure. you're you're one of the 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 biggest events of your life is now something that your own family doesn't acknowledge. Yeah. Right. And that's, I, I, that's hard, right? That, that is a very difficult thing to do. And I think there's a lot of ways to deal with that. There's a lot of different options. You know, I always tell people, Hey, whatever works for you works. Right. right? If not going works for you, right. Don't go. Don't go. Yeah. If going for half an hour works for you and then getting the heck out of there. Great. <laughs> yeah right so you do you do what you feel like you need to do but you know what i, I don't have one answer that i think works for everybody yeah that's good advice good advice what motivated you to go public and start advocating truthfully um one of the so after i got out of the hospital i was actually i was i was pretty much on bed rest for like six months but i had a computer and an internet connection. Uh, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, and I, again, I've always kind of been a little bit of a technical guy, I've always been sort of a, a little bit of a geek, like playing with technology. Um, and I think I, I really got online for the first time and started looking around and just seeing, okay, are there, are there resources for mental health? Are there resources for child abuse survivors? Um, and there were, I mean, even in, in the early, even in the late nineties, right. There were, there were some websites dedicated to that, some, some, uh, email groups and, and things like that. Um, and they were, they were great, but I, the one thing that I didn't see, um, outside of, I think one website, um, was anybody talking about male survivors? I mean, nobody, yeah. it was, and again, the women that I connected with back in those days who ran those sites were awesome. I'm not taking anything away from them. Right. But it was all about female survivors. Um, and so what I wanted to do and what I originally started doing in like 99, um, I know I'm aging myself tremendously here. Uh, <laughs> you look young to me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, by the I, way, you can see Mike on YouTube. This will be uploaded to YouTube. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, so I started like hand coding HTML and, and, um, doing that stuff. Cause again, I had a computer and a lot of time. So what the heck? Um, and I started kind of building out some web pages and thinking, Oh, I just want to like, let's see if I throw something up there, if anybody finds it. Um, and then a little bit later, so 2001, 
Um, I was now working in technology. So I turned, turned that techie interest into a job. Um, and I went to a technology conference and that was the first time anybody had introduced the idea of blogging to me. I saw this guy, saw Robert Scoble do a presentation about blogging. Um, and at the time I was working in a small office. I was the only IT guy. Um, so I was like, this is great, right? I can start a blog and start connecting to these other people who write about technology and write about what they're doing. And we can share ideas because I didn't have that at work. This is great. This is awesome. Sign me up. Yeah. Um, so I started my technology blog in September, October of 2001. And it took all of about two entries and other people reading it and commenting on it to, for me to go, huh, mental health and child abuse would be really good here too. <laughs> so I was like off to register my next domain um, yeah. and start a blog, right? And, and the whole idea really for me, as you read in the intro, right, was I just want there to be a website, a place that says you are not alone. You're not the only male survivor. You're not the only survivor. You're not the only person dealing with depression. You're not the only person who survived a suicide attempt, right? There are other people out here. And I really started, when I started the blog, I, I would share my own story and basically any other website I could find. Like, look, regular people. Yeah, I can. <laughs> right? I who can. are child abuse survivors or who have dealt with depression. Look, look, regular people. Right, I can uh, relate to you I'm a male breast cancer survivor and there's not a lot of us around mm -hmm. and it was the same situation. You know, uh, our coalition started six years ago and I came up with the idea, Hey, let's do, let's get on some podcasts and talk to men out there who, you know, who don't even know about male breast cancer. And so Absolutely. we started, started the coalition, started connecting with people. And now we've strung uh, a whole uh, world network, a global network. Yeah. You know, because there's guys out there who just didn't even think there were other guys out there. So exactly, yeah, that, that's great. Uh, uh, tell us the things we can do uh, to support male survivors and the things not to do or say. Wow, how much time you got? Man? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, this is a good podcast. We come up with good questions for yeah, you. Yeah, that is that. No, that 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 really is the crush. Uh, of the whole, the crux of the whole issue, right, is what do you do? Um, I think a lot of what male survivors need is not that different from female survivors, right? We need to be believed, um, yeah. need to be taken seriously, listened to. Um, I, I think, you know, if, you, if, if you're someone who, who is not a survivor, but, but a, a, a male friend or, or, or family member tells you that they are, um, I, I don't think that the response that I'm looking for as a male is all that different from any, any female survivor or any other type of survivor will be looking for. Right? I, I, I just need you to listen to me. I need you to believe me. Um, and I need you to support me. Right. And just the, and things like that. Now, what do you not say? Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> oh, the list. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, anything that minimizes it, I think, is, is automatically just right out. Um, anything that talks about, you know, it not being as bad for you, um, anything like that. And again, this is no different than any survivor, male, any any gender you want to talk about. Um, there's no difference here, right? Okay. Need to be believed. Need to not have it minimized. Um, need to not. The, the biggest thing that one of the things that I tell people all the time is don't try and fix it. You can't make me feel better. <laughs> yeah. This is not your problem to fix, right? I just right. need you to listen. I need you, you need to sit sounding board and listen. Yeah. 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 Um, I need you to just sit with it, right? I'm in, I'm in pain. I'm dealing with this. I need you to just sit with that and, and let that be. Sure. Um, and I think that those are the, th and, and so when I think about things not to say, it's really much more about don't minimize, don't tell, don't tell me other people had it worse. You know, don't don't yeah. tell me it happened for a reason, please. Don't tell me it happened for a reason. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we're talking about this, and because there's people out there that are learning, mm -hmm. you know, by listening to us. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the biggest mistakes abused people make in dealing with their abusive situation? Uh, the one that jumps out to mind is self-medicating. Um, it's, it's an easy trap to fall into. You know, I, I 
like I said, I grew up with an alcoholic father, right? The, the temptation to drink myself into oblivion and not feel anything, yeah. pretty strong. Um, now, luckily for me, I got drunk like twice and I hated every second of it. <laughs> <laughs> so that has not really ever been an option. Um, but I think that is, I, I think there's a lot of that. I think a big part, and, and I've read some statistics over the past couple of years that there, you know, there's a clear tie um, to trauma when it comes to addiction yeah. um, and alcoholism and, and all those sorts of things, because that's, you know, the easiest way to make that pain go away is with medication. Yeah. Um, so, so that I think is one of the biggest mistakes. Um, the other biggest mistake that I think people make all the time is just not telling anybody, staying silent, not talking staying about silent. it. Um, okay. You know, and, and, Again, we talked, we talked earlier, I was very privileged to be able to get therapy. I was, yeah. I was privileged to be able to ask for help and get it. Yeah. Not everybody's in that boat, but it doesn't mean you don't tell anybody, right? right. <laughs> you don't, you don't just suck it up and move on with your life. Yeah. Um, you, you get whatever support you can get. Well, Mike, what are some of the biggest myths pertaining to male childhood abuse? Um, one, I think is that it's not as common as it is. Um, I think it goes, it goes heavily unreported. Um, because again, we're, we're boys, we're, we're men. We're not, we're not supposed to be victims, right? We yeah. suck it up, move on. Right. Um, so I think myth number one is that it's probably more prevalent than you think it is. Um, I think the other myth we talked about earlier, right. Doesn't make you gay. <laughs> Right. <laughs> um, I think that's that's one. Um, I think I think some of the other myths about uh, childhood sexual abuse in general are that women are never perpetrators of it. Um, that's point. simply not true. Yeah. It may not. Again, statistically, they may not be the majority, but saying it never happens is simply not true. Um, for for, I mean, and and I I have known. Uh, over the years, I have met and talked to women who are abused by women. I've talked to boys who are abused by women. So it's not an impossible. It's not the impossible thing that never happens. No, oh, sure. I think a lot of people think it is. Good point. So, could you talk about how the pandemic has affected your efforts and the effect it is having on people going through abuse that you have heard about uh, through your contacts from the field? <laughs> Luckily for me, my efforts are mostly online, so <laughs> so it hasn't impacted my 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 efforts all that much. Um, and part of that is just so I, I work remotely as well, so I work from home. Um, even before I worked from home, I traveled all the time, so really working online was always the best option for me, anyway. Um, so I, I, I that to for me personally, it hasn't impacted that much. I think. For a lot of folks, um, the isolation has been difficult, um, especially people who live by themselves. Um, the last year has been tough. Yeah. Right? You, you aren't getting out to people. You're not getting support the same way, the, the way you're used to. You're having to adjust to Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Right? Not, we're having conversations by Zoom instead of in person. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of lacking. You know, there's nobody, nobody's going to hug me. Um, when I'm having a bad day, which, you know, is an important thing, right? Not, not having touch, right? We, there, there are a lot of people who are missing that. Um, and that's an important part of their support that they just can't get during yeah. a pandemic. So, so the isolation, I think, has been really hard for people. Um, I hope that enough people around them have figured that out and, and are also, like, I, I think the, the one, and nice thing is a horrible word to use here, but uh, the one sort of silver lining is that um, I think the survivor community in general, we all sort of recognize that we're going through that isolation at the same time. Right. Right. And, and it's not anybody's fault. Right. So, yeah. so there's, there's not a lot of, well, you should get out more because no, you can't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Not going to um, happen. Yeah. You're just, no. Um, so I think that it's been nice to kind of, see online a lot of that community come together and be like let's schedule zoom calls let's make sure we're keeping in touch with people um and not sort of taking those easy outs of you need to get out and see your friends more um because that might not be be possible for a lot of people so 
Can you tell us about your website, www.childabusesurvivor.net, and talk about the positive effect it has made on others? So, like I said, it's been around for about 20 years now. Um, and it's grown over the years. Uh, it's taken different forms. Things have come and gone. Again, I'm a techie, so I like experimenting with it. Uh, <laughs> um, right now, there's there's sort of a couple of different sections and things going on. There's there's the the main site, which is just me sort of sharing my thoughts and, and writing about things I think about, things that impact me. Um, there's another section of it called, that I call news and reviews, which is basically, I'm, I'm just going to share interesting things that I find, um, whether it be a book review about mental health or, you know, an article that talks about some of the stuff we've talked about, like, you know, the groups that don't have access to mental health care and what we can do better. So, um, so there's basically a lot going on there. I, I generally spend some time either posting something or updating something or sharing things on social media every day. Um, just trying, and again, it's, it's all about trying to share whatever information I get, um, and things that I, again, things that I learned, I, I want to share that. Um, it's, you know, that part, part of my profession as a trainer. Um, so there's just this part of me that just, I learned something and I want, I need to tell people, <laughs> I need, gotcha. I need to teach others. Um, so that website has become the place where I read and learn about mental health and, and abuse and uh, a number of other things in that, that realm. And I share, right. I just, I need to explain it to people. So I'll just put it up there. Um, and I think over the years, a lot of people have gotten some value out of it. Um, you know, the people who write me and tell me that, you know, that I made them feel less alone are the best emails in the world. Sure. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Do you have any plans to expand your efforts into the field of suicide prevention? Um, a little bit. I, I actually did some some uh, initial training in that area in 2019, and then obviously pandemic happened, and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> going to training classes now kind of went away. Um, I have thought about that. I, I, there are some obviously with suicide prevention, um, you have to be very careful about what you say, what you do, how you say it. Um, so I, I don't want to like walk into that without the training. Yeah. Um, I encourage everyone to at least get some minimal basic training in suicide prevention, you know, understand. I know that um, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention does, then this was the initial training I took. They did like a four hour class. Okay. Um, and again, they're not, they're not teaching you in four hours to answer a helpline or anything like that, but they're just saying, look, if there's someone around you who you feel is suicidal, that they, they just they encourage you to talk to them. Yeah. Here's where you go to help sit with them. Call the helpline with them, right? All the all these little tips to just you know don't just ignore it, don't run away from it because you don't want to talk about it, but just you know have the conversation. Yeah. Um. So I, that was some excellent training. I know they do uh, they do much more training for folks who want to get more involved. I do kind of want to get involved with that. Do some speaking. Um, for them once, once we're out of the pandemic. Once we're uh, out of it, yeah. <laughs> what, what are you most excited about going forward in your advocacy uh, regarding male child abuse? Um, I, I think what, one of the things I'm most excited about, um, I, I, I'm trying to figure out the right way to work this. Um, I think I am most excited about the fact that I do feel like we've reached a point where people are started are understanding that um, male survivors resources are lacking in trying to put them together. Right. Okay. Um, I mean, if you think about just, you know, a lot of the programs around sexual abuse, around child abuse in general, but especially around sexual abuse are, are female focused. Yeah. Right? Because that was the group you were treating for the most part. And I get that. I'm not blaming anybody for that. Sure. That's just, sure. that's just what you had. Um, and those were the stories that got the news, right? That the, the headlines are always about the, the little girl who got abducted. Right. right. And it, it wasn't intentional. It's just the way it was. Yeah. I mean, that's a sensational news story. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> right? right. So, so I, I don't blame anybody for that, but understanding that there are a lot of other groups out there, I think is something that, um, especially in the last 
year, year and a half, um, there's been a really, I, I, some really interesting awareness growing around minority groups and gay and lesbian groups and, and trans groups and all of those. Yeah. Um, and just sort of understanding how much abuse goes on in those communities. You know, that it's not just the little girl who got abducted from the suburban house, which again is a great big media headline, right? But for every one of those, there are 10 other kids in poverty, in, in various other situations, getting abused, getting trafficked, and nobody sees it. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that a lot of what has been happening over the last year is we're starting to pay more attention to those groups and, and pay more attention to those kids, and we're seeing it. That's good. Um, and I, 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 I'm excited. I mean, I'm not excited that it's happening um, or that the numbers among those groups are what they are, but I'm excited that we're starting to pay attention to it yeah. and understand yeah. it. Definitely understand what you're saying. What are some of the ways people can contact you, Mike? Um, so on the website, as you mentioned, www.childabusesurvivor.net. Um, there are links there to all of the social media profiles. There's a Facebook page. Uh, there's a Facebook group, a uh, private group for survivors that's tied to that Facebook page as well. Uh, there's a Twitter handle, an Instagram handle. So like I said, I'm a geek. Uh, <laughs> if there's a, a social media toy, I'm going to play with it uh, and see yeah. how it works. Um, so yeah, all of that stuff is right there linked right on that website. So Everything's linked on that website. Yep. Okay, great. Mike, thank you for sharing your story. Uh, what you do takes a lot of courage and I know all your hard work uh, is helping people who are in distress. I wish you good fortune going forward. And thanks again for being on the podcast. I'm going to include all those links on the podcast notes. Uh, I want everybody to know if you have any uh, comments or suggestions for the podcast, uh, please email the podcast at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page, page it's a wrap with rap. And now we are on the World Wide Web at www.itsarapwithrap.com. And you can subscribe to our mailing list and you'll get some uh, notifications of upcoming podcasts. Thanks everyone for listening. Uh, everyone, please stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap. Thank you.